Uh, welcome. My name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors that serves here. So good to see you guys. Super excited that we're celebrating just what God is doing over the past two years. And yeah, that we get to celebrate a birthday. Uh, we launched March of 2020. So I know that was super strategic planning right when we entered into a pandemic. But God's been awesome. Um, <clears throat> I have a billion dollars. That's what my son Colton said earlier this week, because somewhere he had found a, a dollar bill that said a billion dollars, and he's like, see, it's a billion dollar bill. I have a billion dollars, and you know, it's like, well, you know, there's really not, but it says a billion dollars. Um, you know, when he, when he said that, it didn't really mean much to me, because, well, it's my son Colton. But if you heard the same thing, I have a billion dollars, and you're in a room with Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, you're like, well, hey, that means something different. Or if it came from Elon Musk, uh, the Tesla guy, you know, that would mean something different than if it comes from Colton. <laughs> Come with me if you want to live. Man, that means something coming from Arnold Schwarzenegger in those Terminator movies. It means something completely different if it's one of my neighborhood kids telling me that. <laughs> Come with me if you want to live. Right? It, it, because the, the point is, is, it's not just what said that counts, but who says it. If one of your friends says, hey, I have this crazy idea, that might not mean a lot to me if it was Alex, Pastor Alex saying that, but if it was Seth Brown saying that, I'm like, I better buckle up. <laughs> Because, again, it's not just what is said, but it's who says it. And obviously the content is important of what's said, but it, but it, it is a lot. I mean, even who says it might matter even more than what is said. And today we, maybe you're familiar with this passage that, that Ella read today in Matthew 14, and we hear those words, hey, come follow me from Jesus. And maybe you're like, yeah, I've heard that before. But, and we, we tend to focus on, well, what does that mean? And maybe we miss, well, who's saying it? And how that should really impact us to our core because of who said it. And so today, as we look at our passage, we're going to see a kingdom's people, a kingdom's purpose, and a kingdom's king. So those three things, a kingdom's purpose, or a kingdom's people, a kingdom's purpose, and a kingdom's king. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 4. It is the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 4. And um, in the, you know, we just saw earlier in that chapter, Jesus is being tempted by Satan um, to, to his face, <clears throat> and uh, he resists Satan, and then in verses uh, 12 through 17, Jesus, he goes into Galilee, he moves uh, to a different part of Israel, and um, in Galilee, there's an area where it's, yes, it is Jewish people, but it's also, there's a lot of Gentiles, people that aren't Jewish. And this is just kind of showing you this, this uh, theme that Matthew has of that Jesus is not just a savior for Israel, but he's a savior for the nations. And then <clears throat> there in um, verses 15 through 16, Matthew quotes from Isaiah 9. And again, Matthew is showing them, hey, this Jesus is fulfilling scripture, this, this is Matthew, or Isaiah was taught, this is hundreds of years before Matthew's writing, and Isaiah's talking about the Messiah that is to come, and that, that he would come into a dark place, people that are in darkness. And when Isaiah prophesied this about these people that are in this area that are in Galilee, these people 
back in Isaiah's time, were oppressed by the Assyrians. It is kind of a foreign people, and they end up just kind of laying waste to, to the, the area, and they end up just taking a lot of people out. And so today, when Matthew is, it, when, when Jesus is going into this same area, people are under Roman oppression. And, and Matthew is saying, hey, th- this scripture that Isaiah had, this is being fulfilled. A light has come. A light is here to these people that are in darkness. It's Jesus. He's coming to the oppressed people. And, and we see later on that he's actually meeting them with physical needs, but also spiritual needs, that he's helping people that are not walking with God to really know God. And that, that passage in Isaiah 9, that's also the passage uh, where Isaiah says, unto us a child is born. Unto us a, a child is given. And it's just, again, talking about the Messiah. And so Matthew's just showing us in those scriptures how, how this is being fulfilled through Christ. Then in verse 17, Jesus he be, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. His message is really matching John the Baptist, and again, just telling people, hey, turn away from your sin, turn away from your way of thinking, turn away from your unbelief, and then turn to Christ, turn to him, and, and so that you could know him because the kingdom has arrived. And then verse 18, Jesus, as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And so the first point is this, a kingdom's people. Jesus arrives, the kingdom of God is here, and he's going to now kind of move into public ministry, ministering with the people, and the first thing that he does is he goes and walks, goes for a walk on the beach, and to grab some disciples, and he just meets them in their everyday life. They're just doing their job. And that's what God does a lot of times. He just meets us in the everyday mundane parts of our life. And he turns them into moments with God. And so Jesus, he's like, hey, my kingdom is here. And I'm going to go get people for my kingdom. I mean, think about it. This is Jesus, God, in the flesh. And he could do all of this thing alone. Right? He has the power to heal people. He has the power to walk on water. He, he, he has all of this stuff, and he could be doing it all by himself. But that's not how his kingdom works. He's like, hey, I'm going to go. I'm not doing this alone. I'm going to go get people. I'm going to go get some disciples to follow me to help bring in the kingdom. And he eventually gets 12 disciples. And that represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is just to help show people like, hey, it's kind of like this new Israel, the new people of God that are coming into this world to to be a part of his kingdom and to live from his kingdom. And so pretty much from this point on, whatever Jesus is doing, he's doing with his, he's primarily doing with his disciples. They're, They're with him. And as we see here, there's something that's unique about this is that Jesus is the one that initiates towards them, right? They're doing their own thing. They're just mending their nets, they're fishing, but Jesus said, Jesus came to them. Jesus went to them. And in and, and this culture at this time, that would have been very far, that would have been out of the ordinary. There were other rabbis, other um, you know, teachers of the word of God, teachers of the law, and if they were a rabbi, if people wanted to follow them, they would go seek them out. 
They would be like, hey, Rabbi, can I follow you? Um, it kind of reminds me of some of those kung fu movies, um, you know, like IP Man, for example. But um, he was the guy that trained Bruce Lee, in case you're wondering. But, you know, the, the, all of these guys, they would run up to the kung fu master, and they'd be like, hey, master, you know, can, can, will you make us your students and teach us the ways of kung fu? And if they looked legit enough, the master would just be like, yes or no, go do other stuff that's not kung fu. Um, you know, and, and that, that's kind of a little bit similar to what it would be. They, they would go to the rabbi and be like, hey, rabbi, can we follow you? And then the rabbi would kind of make a judgment call like, okay, yeah, or no, go do your father's trade. And so, but here, Jesus is the one that comes to them. He's the one that pursues He's the one that initiates. And this is something that we see throughout Scripture. Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden, they sin. Do they run towards God? No, they go and hide. But God comes walking towards them. Abraham, he's a pagan. But God came to Abraham. God came to Jacob. God came to Isaac. The Israelites, when they're in slavery in, in Egypt, they're, all they're doing is just, they don't actually, even in the text, it doesn't say they cried out to God. It just says they cried out. But who heard? God. And then God says, I am coming to rescue them. And even Jesus, he's coming. He came, left heaven, left the glory of heaven and came down for us. And then right here, he's coming to his, uh, to his uh, people that are about to be his disciples. He's coming to Peter, to John. After Jesus ascends, what does Jesus do? I'm going to send you my spirit and he will come to you. And then one day, eventually, we see that Jesus will come back and make all things new. And what we see in that is the Bible is not a story about people trying to get God, trying to be good enough so that they can reach God. The, the, the story of the Bible is the story of a God moving towards us in love and grace, not about us trying to reach him. And so... Jesus, he, he, he moves towards them. He's getting people, followers, disciples for his kingdom. And who does he start off with? Four fishermen. I mean, these are not exactly people that you would expect to be kingdom people. Disciple material. I don't, I don't really know how often they're reading their Bibles. They smell bad. I know you're like, well, I like fish. Well, yeah, you do, and then your breath stinks. <laughs> fish smell bad. These are, these are pretty rugged guys, blue collar, just ordinary people. They're not elite. They're not sophisticated. They're not upper class. They're not the most educated or anything like that. I mean, is this kind of the people that you want for the job? Recently, Lincoln Public Schools hired a new superintendent. I mean, can you imagine that as they're introducing the new superintendent and somebody, one of the interview people says, hey, so what makes you good for this job? And they say, well, you know, I worked at McDonald's for a few months. I mean, no diss on McDonald's, but if you can't figure out how to get that ice cream machine to work, <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to cut it for overseeing a whole, a whole district and deciding snow days. You're just like, that thing is still broken. It's been six years. It's time to just get the ice cream machine. Can you not figure it out? I mean, I mean that, that we, we would be floored if, if Lincoln Public Schools did that. Like, hey, this is, this is a serious job. This is important. You can't just get any, any old person. You, need to, you can't get somebody that's ordinary. 
Well, what about people that are representing God on earth? I mean, well, what about people that are going to be kingdom people, be Jesus, hands and feet, be salt and light, be fishers of people that display the love and the goodness of Jesus? Well, hey, who are you guys? What's, what makes you qualified? Well, well, last week, I'll tell you what, I caught one of the biggest bass you've ever seen. Bam! I caught, I've caught several catfish today. Okay. Doesn't really stir a lot of confidence. But God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Right? I mean, I think a lot of times we think, gosh, I have to be awesome. I have to know so much. I have to be, man, let's, 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 I have to be super great. But that's, again, not the story of the Bible. It's not, the story of the Bible is not God using extraordinary people. It's to do extraordinary things. The story of the Bible is an extraordinary God using ordinary people, broken, messy, don't have it all together people to do extraordinary things. Because it's not about how awesome we are, but it's about how awesome he is. And that's what we see right here. Jesus, he comes to just four fishermen. Because whatever God is going to do in this world, he's primarily going to do through his people. Ordinary people. And so God wants to use you. And so right here we just see, hey, Jesus, the kingdom is here. And he gets kingdoms, uh, kingdom people for it. And so that's the first point there. And the second point is this. We see not only kingdom people, but we see the kingdom's purpose. Verse 19. This shows us, hey, what is the purpose of this kingdom that's coming here? Verse 19, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Today, so much of people's energy, maybe your energy, my energy, is put into getting others to like you, to approve of you. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come admire me. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come and think that I'm really cool. Come and agree with me. Come give me some of your attention. That's not what he says. Jesus says, come follow me. Which means, and they would have understood this because this would have been, in their culture, it would have been like, hey, come follow me. Come and become like me. So when we think, hey, what's the purpose of this kingdom? It's to become more and more like Jesus, to look more and more like him, to think more and more like him, to have more of his desires, his delights. The things that frustrate, really frustrate the heart of God should be frustrating us. That, when a disciple in that culture would follow a rabbi, that's exactly what they were signing up for. Hey, rabbi, I'm following you, and I'm going to do everything that you do. I want to become just like you. I'm listening to everything that you're saying. Why? So that I can look more and more like you. And so Jesus, when he says, come follow me, he's saying, hey, I want you to reorient your whole life, your way of thinking, the way you act, to me. Come follow me. Join, with, join me in what he's doing. And so we see that, that part of that purpose is just to become more like Jesus and then he's, he's telling them also, hey, part of that purpose is to come follow me, become like me, and to participate in my kingdom. You have a part to play. 
belong to this kingdom, but participate in it. When he says, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. Right? Jesus doesn't say, okay, come follow me and you could go to heaven when you die. That's not, that's not what he says. Hey, come follow me and you could go to church some on Sundays. Right? That's not what he says. Hey, come follow me. Reorient your whole life to me. And actually, you've been belonging to this kingdom of the world and I'm inviting you into a new kingdom to belong to this kingdom and to participate in it. To join me in what I'm doing. You have a part to play in the kingdom of heaven. Because, hey, this, is, this isn't, I'm not asking you to shift a little part of your kingdom, your world, and you just kind of slap some Jesus in it. No, hey, this is now, you don't, it's no longer about your kingdom, where you're king, it's about my kingdom, where I'm king. And, and so Jesus here is not, is not asking them, hey, can I be a consultant in your life? Hey, can you, if you really need something, look me up. He's saying, hey, come follow me, obey me. Join me in what I'm doing. And so we belong to Jesus. We all have a part to play. And he says, and hey, I will make you fishers of people. And we, we see, you know, he's saying, hey, come, come join me in this kingdom work. And we see a glimpse of that in verses 23 through 25. They're going around, they're preaching, teaching of the good news of the kingdom. And you're like, hey, what did that look like? And Matthew expands that. Hey, what's the good news of the kingdom? What does it look like to be kingdom people? And he expands that in chapters five through seven with the Sermon on the Mount. And then they're, they're not only just sharing the good news of Christ, of who he is, they're also going around helping people in their life. It says that they're healing people. Paralytics, people that are oppressed, people that are hurting. And it gives us kind of a snapshot of that here in chapter four, but then it expands in chapters eight and nine when Jesus is, is healing people. And so, hey, participate in my kingdom, be a fishers of people. What does that mean for us? And that means participate in the kingdom of God. Yes, it means um, helping people in their, in their life, meeting them with, it, with their practical needs. And I know in, in South Lincoln, maybe that's, that is like financial needs. Maybe that's friendship needs. Maybe that's aloneness needs. Maybe that's just having somebody listen to them. Maybe it's inviting somebody to your dinner table. I think that is one of the biggest needs that we have in South Lincoln is just getting, like we've, we've built up our fences and we've shrunken our dinner tables. Maybe that needs to shift. Hey, we're lowering our fences and we're expanding our dinner table. Why? Because we're inviting people into our life. In, into what we're doing, into the, what we're per, hopefully participating in, in the kingdom of God. So we're sharing our lives with others, and we're also declaring the gospel, I and mean, that's what they're doing. So it's both they're, they're showing the love of Christ, and they're declaring the love of Christ. Show and tell, right? We all remember that when we were kids? Or you're like, no, I did that this week. Awesome. <laughs> right? But, it, but it's both and. Show and tell. Show and share. And, and, and so it's both of these things. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come follow me only so that you can enjoy my grace. No, come and follow me so that you can enjoy my grace, but extend it to others. Extend my glory. 
Jesus fought or found you, right? He caught you. And he wants to use you to help catch other people for them to see and know Christ. Um, Dallas Willard, he once wrote, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. You might not be a fisherman, but you are something. What if Jesus wants to use you in whatever you spend your time doing? Whatever work you may be uh, in to bring about the kingdom rule of God in and where you are. That's discipleship. And we are to go about our primary call of following Jesus to become more like him, just like Peter, just like these disciples did, and to help other people to hear the gospel, to know the gospel, so that they might come to know Christ, but also see Christ in their life. That's what Jesus is inviting them to. That's what we see the purpose of the kingdom is here. This whole life reorientation to his kingdom and the purpose of this kingdom. And maybe you're thinking, hey, that sounds awesome, Ricky. But I don't know if I could do that. I mean, you're asking me to reorient my whole life. Right? That it's no longer about all the stuff that I want and my desires. And then I'm supposed to like sacrifice, live sacrificially to show other people who Christ is. And then I'm supposed to even like, as time goes on, share who Christ is. Man, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. And I just say, well, you can't. But no, notice what Jesus says here. He, doesn't, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come follow me because you are fishers of men, fishers of people. Jesus doesn't even say, hey, because you're fishing for, for fish, now you're going to be really good at this. No, he does, like, no, these are entirely two different things. But Jesus says, hey, come and I will make you this. This is something that I'm going to do. It's not because you already got it figured out. I will make you that. Again, remember, these are unsophisticated, kind of lower class peasants of Galilee. I mean, I mean, think about that. Can you really just take these peasants, fishermen, from this obscure place of Galilee and, hey, what are we going to do? Well, they're going to be the apostles. They're going to be the founders of the church. They're going to change the world. Right? I mean, that, that seems crazy. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And so in this, this call to the kingdom and to li be on living for the purposes of the kingdom, that's something that Jesus is like working in you in your life. Jesus transforms us. He's the one that changes us and makes us. You, 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 you won't grow into being a fisher of, of people by yourself. Or just saying, like, I'm going to do this. But this is what Jesus can do in and through you if you'll follow him. If you'll just surrender. He's the one that changes us. This isn't all up to you. It's, and so he, he's, I mean, I, I know that might be simple. It's like, well, yeah, it was simple for them because Jesus was right next to them physically. Right? Of course, of course that's going to change your life. Because Jesus is right there next to you. And you're watching him do everything that he's doing. And granted, that would be awesome. But what Jesus said, it's actually better for me to go because you get the spirit. So, hey, you don't get Jesus physically beside you. You get the power of the Holy Spirit in you. All the time. 
The, po- the power and the presence of God lives in you if you've trusted in Christ. He's changing you, transforming you. And so when he invites us into this, when he com- even commands these guys, hey, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Right again, who does the making? Who does the changing? It's Jesus. It's God. Even in Luke, he records a similar, similar story of when Jesus calls these guys and Jesus tells them, hey, throw your net over there in deep water. They haven't caught anything all night. And Peter's like, thinking in his head, man, this guy doesn't know anything. He's just a carpenter. He doesn't know how to fish. I know how to fish. I've been on this lake my whole life. I was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll just, I'll follow you, I'll obey you. They throw it out. And so what, what Peter does in that moment, Peter obeys. But who fills the net? Jesus, right? So even when Jesus is saying, hey, fish, I want you to be a fisher of people. When we think, man, I got to go out there and I got to share the gospel and I got to do this. And man, I got to get people saved. And yeah, we want to follow. But again, who fills the net? It's not us. We cast the net. Jesus is the one that fills it. And so Jesus here, he's saying, hey, you follow, I make. You surrender, I shape. You share, I save. You trust, I work and provide. And so that, that's what he, the purposes of the kingdom. You reorient your whole life. And then we keep reading here. So that's um, verse, um, so he calls them, hey, I'll make you fishers of people. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called to them. You know, and it's the same call, follow me. Verse 22, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed them. And so we see this response. And so, yes, there is this purpose of the kingdom. Hey, come follow me, become like me, belong to this kingdom, participate in it. But we do see in this that it, there is a cost. I mean, it says that they, immediately, both times, immediately, they left and followed Jesus. Now, if I was Zebedee, James and John's dad, I think I would have been there and like, and Ricky, the father of these guys, interjected and was like, no, you could go follow this guy a little bit later. You finish cleaning that net. What are you doing? We got work to do. I mean, think of what they're doing. Fishing is their way of life. This is their livelihood. This is how they, they, they support their families. This is how they're, they're doing, they make a living. And they're just like immediately drop their nets, leave, leave, even it kind of expands it with uh, John and James. They don't just leave their nets, they leave their dad. They leave the boat. And now you probably, at this point, you're like, hey, man, good job, James and John and Peter and Andrew. But, but Ricky, are you, you probably want me to tell you that following Jesus won't cost you anything. That it won't be an inconvenience to you, that it won't ever cost or involve you sacrificing anything. And I would just say, I can't tell you that because the Bible doesn't say that. Later on in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And most of the time, and I'm in this boat too, 
pretty much all the time, I want my faith and me being a follower of Jesus to be as comfortable as possible. I don't want it to cost me anything. It's like, hey, Jesus, can I take the net with me? I don't want to leave it. Let's take the boat. Let's take it all. Or how about you get in the boat and you come with me? Right? Let's do this my way. Ha-ha. Right? And that, and that's what we kind of want. We, we want Jesus, but we don't want him to change us. I want you, Jesus, but I don't want you to change anything about my life. Hey, I want you. I want heaven, but nothing to be different unless I want it to be different. And I just ask you this, like, for, for you, what is your net? Right? They left their nets. They left the boat. They left their dad. What is your net? What is something that you right now in your life need to leave in order to follow Jesus? Now, it's probably not going to be a whole career change like these guys. It's probably not. It's, I mean, for most of us, it's probably not going to be something that drastic. It could be. But for most of us, it isn't leaving career. But I would say, what is it that you need to say, I'm going to leave that to follow Jesus? to trust him, to obey him? Or what's something that you just maybe, you're holding like this, and you just need to go like this? And hold it with an open hand and be like, Jesus, whatever it is that you want to do, I'm going to hold this with an open hand. I'm going to give this to you and trust you with it so that I could really grab onto Jesus. Because that's the, you is what I need. I don't need this so much. And I mean, like, let, let's face it. I mean, we, Jesus, in these next couple chapters, when he expands on the good news of the kingdom, some of that's tough stuff. Hey, Jesus, I'm, I like helping the poor. Yep, 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 that's me. Ooh, wait a minute. But about what you said involving marriage or sex and, you know, stuff like that, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. Oh, hey, you said, you said this about that, and I'm all for that, but ooh, what you said about money... Why don't you mind your own business? And, and we want to kind of pick and choose what we take with Jesus, but the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. You know, we, what is it that you need to drop to follow Jesus? It's his kingdom, not ours. And then there, there is a cost to following Jesus, but I would say this, there's a cost to not following Jesus too. And that, those verses in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple and follow me must deny himself and pick up his cross daily. Right after that, this is what he says. He says in verse 25, whoever wants to save his life, be, have it be all about them, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it if someone would gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Jesus is saying, hey, there's a cost. If you choose something else, if you choose the, the kingdom of this world, if you choose the kingdom of yourself, hey, you might get it. You might get all of it. But what good is that? What are you going to do with that? You gain all of this stuff, but you lose your life. You lose your very soul. Because what can anybody exchange, give in exchange for their soul? And I just say, what, what, if, what if we do settle for a kind of a casual, trivial Christianity? What if you settle for that? Just this 
casual Christianity, but yet you never actually encounter Jesus, the source of life, the source of joy, the source of love. You get some other stuff. What? You never really have Jesus in What if you never have really Jesus in your life? What if, we, what, if, what if you settle for this kind of trivial Christianity? What's that not just going to cost you, but what is that going to cost the world? Because then that's what the world sees. I'll tell you this. I don't think the greatest threat to the, to the movement of Jesus Christ going out in this world has anything to do with policies or politics. Apathetic Christians are far more of a danger. It'll cost you something. It might even cost other people things. But again, here's the point. But hey, if you lose your life for my sake, look at what you gain. Look at what you get. You get Christ. You find your life. Because in Jesus, there is life. In Jesus, there is love. In Jesus, there is meaning and purpose. And so we see... We've seen the people of the kingdom. We've seen the purpose of the kingdom. Third point is this. We see the king of the kingdom. It isn't just who said it that counts, or what was said that counts, but who said it. Jesus doesn't say, come follow me and I'll give you religion. Come follow me and I'll give you a bunch of rules or a a behavior management program or, hey, come follow me and I will give you a path to a better you. He doesn't even just say, hey, now come and fish. But Jesus says, come follow me. Me. I think we hear these words of Jesus, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And then we see that they left their nets. And, and, and we just kind of think of like, whoa, that sounds, kind of, I mean, intimidating. You know, some people, they're probably pumped. And, and we don't always like them. Right, you know, they're pumped. They're like, oh gosh, yeah, they get all excited. They hear these words. Yeah, let's go follow Jesus. Be fisher people. Let's go win the day. And then the rest of us are like, hmm, cool. That sounds hard. And we, we just think of this as like weighty. And we're kind of reluctant to do it because, and I'd say this, is because we're thinking of what was said. Be fishers of people. Right? And there, again, there is a cost and, and there is a change of life. That totally is it. But we tend to focus on what was said rather than who is saying it. This is an invitation. Jesus is giving them an invitation to himself. Right? Come follow me. Obey me to, to, to also, yeah, to follow me to do these things I'm doing, but to relationship with Christ. I remember on a Sunday afternoon when I asked Christy, hey, would you like to go on a walk with me? And we headed towards a local park, and I had one of my friends set up a camera in a box that looked like trash. Um, And then I had put this other box inside of a box, another box that looked kind of like a treasure box. And I was like, hey, bury this in the sand, but put something there to mark it. And so we're walking towards this park. I text from my friend, hey, we're heading our way, heading that way. And he, we get to the park and we get to the, the kind of sand pit. And I see that, that little mark there in the, in the sand. And I'm like, hey, why don't we just sit down here? And we're kind of talking. And, and, and as we're talking, I'm just kind of moving some sand away. 
And I'm just talking about how she is a treasure in my life. How I just cherish her, how I love her. And then as we get kind of farther in, this little mini treasure box starts to become unburied. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> and, and I tell her, hey, you're, I, you're this like treasure in my life. And I feel like I've found something truly amazing. And I pull out the ring and I get down on one knee and I say, will you marry me? And then Christy, she pauses. She realizes how she is so definitely marrying up. And she's like, <laughs> and she said, yes. So see, with that question, will you marry me? We have great feelings about that, right? Oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. Well, yeah, will you marry me? But, but what is that, that question when I'm asking Christy that? I'm saying, hey, will you marry me, but, but I'm inviting you into a new life. I'm inviting you into serving me somewhat. Yes, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to sacrifice for you. But hey, this is what this marriage relationship is, that we love one another, that we sacrifice for one another, that we serve one another, that we encourage one another. Hey, and I'm asking you to have kind of this complete life change and, and, and for the rest of our life, till death do us part. That's what I'm, the invitation is into, right? Even kind of like I'm asking you to, for me and you to change in, in many ways how we identify ourselves. Hey, we get a new tax status, all of this stuff. And we, yes, it involves adjustment, Kind of a lot of adjustment. Is that kind of similar to what Jesus calls us into right here? Come follow me. This invitation, this, this call, this command into a different life. Into a life that, yeah, it, it, it is an adjustment. I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to sacrifice and to serve me, one another, the people of this world. Into this new identity. Where it's, your life is no longer about you. But it's far better. It's far better than getting an imperfect spouse where you have communication issues, right? This is, this is an invitation to the perfect person, Jesus, love. And we follow him because it's him we're following, right? It's an invitation into this. We leave our, our, our nets because Jesus left everything for us. And yeah, we sacrifice and we serve Jesus, but just think, this relationship doesn't start with you sacrificing anything. It involves with Jesus sacrificing everything. Right? It isn't just what Jesus says here. I mean, these are basically his first words to, directly to people. Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of people. Because who does Matthew show us, not, not just what is being said, but who is saying it? What does, who does Matthew show us that Jesus is? Chapter one, Jesus is God with us. He's Emmanuel. He's come down and he will save his people from their sins. Chapter two, Jesus is the shepherd of the weak and he brings a greater exodus in us, out of slavery, out of sin, out of darkness. Chapter three, he's a, he's a savior king, a righteous judge. 
And he, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's loved by the Father. In chapter 4, he is good. And he doesn't use his power to gain something for himself, but he resists temptation and succeeds where, where Israel failed, where Adam failed, where you and I failed. He succeeds and doesn't fall into sin. We've seen in this chapter, he, he's the light come into the darkness, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing people that are afflicted. He's, he's the one to come to all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. Later on in Matthew, he, he's the, in his name, the nations put their hope. He's the one who has power to feed thousands. He is the, he's the one that has power to calm storms. But yet he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the one who would sweat blood, who was betrayed by his closest friends. He allowed himself to be arrested. He was put on an unjust trial to be handed over, to be nailed on a cross, to die your death, to pay the price for your sin, your transgressions. But death couldn't hold him and he rose again. That is the one. That's the one who is saying, come follow me. Who is saying it? Man, Jesus is awesome and he's the one that is saying then to us. And so he's far more worthy than just mild church attendance or just kind of some association with. He's worthy of total commitment, total obedience, complete trust, supreme adoration and worship. And he says, come follow me. Right, and I, th I think sometimes we think Man, if Jesus showed up in the flesh, if I was like these guys and Jesus was literally walking by and gave me that invitation, then I think I would maybe do it. Maybe, hopefully I would follow him if it was like that. But here's the reality. He is here. That's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus is here. And he has, this is not hypothetical. This is a current reality. And Jesus is giving you this invitation, this call. And he's saying, hey, come and follow me and I will change you. I will make you into fishers of people. And so that's the question you're faced today. Will you follow Jesus, the one who's calling to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that that we can just trust the one that is saying this to us. Lord, this, this call, this invitation that you give to us to come follow you, Lord, that you are so good, that you are so great. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, if there's just something that's hindering us, Lord, from, from just following you, from listening to you, from trusting you, Lord, that we would just give that to you, that we'd go to you with it, even if we're not sure, even if we're struggling with it, Lord, that we're just saying, hey, God, I, I want to know you. I want to follow you. Help me with my doubt. Help me with this struggle. Help me with this sin. Help me with this, Lord, and that we just go to you with it. And so, Lord, um, continue to shape us and to make us into your kingdom people, into just who you are, Father, so that we might be salt and light to this world so that more and more people might know you and follow you. And so we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.